Ho ho! Welcome to High Chase Three. We're back. We didn't leave. Uh, we're still here, uh, doing some stuff. Um, we're coming back with another episode today. Uh, as a reminder, my name is Lucas, and this gentleman over here is Jake. Jake That's right. We're to- still relevant, ladies and gentlemen. I am currently video calling from just shy of two and a half hours away from our orig- original uh, recording location. If you ever wondered why we were inconsistent this year. And I am about 20 to 25 minutes away, dog sitting, recording this outside. Um, so that's the only way I got enough internet to do this. So um, if you animal noises, you know, it, it, it's probably okay. Um, we'll find out though, right? If you hear Lucas getting dragged away by a bunch of rednecks, then we know what happened to him. Yep, yep. And uh, please, yep. you do out. have you do have a pretty mouth. I'm just gonna say that now. Okay. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> just a couple of reminders before we get started. We do um have social media accounts, so you can follow us on Instagram at Hack History. You can go ahead and follow us on Facebook, and you can search Hack History on Facebook. Go ahead and find that page. We are on TikTok um, at Hack History. Um, and you can go ahead and send us any questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff to hatchhistory101 at gmail.com. Mm. And we are going to be picking up um, with this episode. Uh, it's going to be another installment of our Space Race series. So part of the reason it took us a while to get this one out is because it, Jake and Test, it does involve quite a bit of research. Um, yeah, it does. And... That based on kind of our day-to-day life being a little bit busy lately um, just with our regular jobs uh, means we had to give a small bit of a break. But if things go the way we want, this is actually episode one of two um, we're potentially recording tonight. So, Or maybe episode one of one, depending on how fast we get through this. Yeah, well, we're going to find out. But uh, without further ado, mm. Jakey Poo, do you want to get us started? Oh, I'll get you started. So Stop we're going to start... I'm waiting yeah. for you to get your bit done there. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. We're going to start in the far off land of December of 1954, my friend. December 1954. I remember it fondly. Do you? Ah, yes. <laughs> I remember it. Pepper Tribe remembers. And you know what we I remember? remember? I remember when computers were the size of a whole skyscraper. You remember it was the computers were the size of a whole skyscraper and leaded gasoline was the thing of the future and, and black we people were still, still putting leaded paint on walls. And it's still bad. <laughs> we were feeding that leaded paint to babies and just driving us to dance. I like to think of the nineteen like the late nineteen fifties especially is like a like the American dream is starting to like slowly come into fruition, but you're still, like, feeding your kid heroin just to shut them the fuck up well, on a Tuesday This is afternoon. when you could actually have the American dream. This is when you could actually buy a house with a white picket fence and have a job that supports, like, everyone. Like, this is when that was still an option. Who the fuck wants a white picket fence, though? That's boring as hell. Well, that's the stereotype, Jakey Poo. Yeah, I know, but we're heading for another housing crash, and, so we might I be mean, able to buy a house. Hard. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. I mean, is it sad? I'm just, I want the market to just take one absolute, absolute big ass shit. That's what no. I want. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't get a house. It's valid. Also, we never talk about why the, the picket fences, why are they white? 
you know what? Why can't they be a why can't it be a black picket fence? That's true. That's true. You know what's wrong with the fifties? The inherent racism. And fuck I mean, you if you think it was better. Shut the hell up. It's definitely a problem from the fifties. Yeah, that's that's not that's not a good thing. Um, I would also. Venture- what happens when the black picket fence moves into the white picket fences neighborhood, and all the white picket fences move? And then they move and create their own white picket fence neighborhood. And that's what we call white picket fence flight. What, what was it? White flight? What was it called again? Yeah, it was white flight. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that and everything that's associated with it. Anyway, so oh, 1950, happens, actually. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm. What happens when the black picket fence must disappear out of the neighborhood of the white picket fences before a certain time of the night? Otherwise, the black picket fence may never really come back again. That's what we call a sundown fence. That's true, but let's be honest. All of those white picket fences should be lined up against the wall and shot. Anyway, moving on. Uh, anyway, December seventeenth, nineteen fifty-four. The impetus for this particular space program began in nineteen fifty-four with Chief, Chief Soviet Rocketeer Sergei Korolev. Oh yes, Sergei. How much do you know about Sergei Korolev, there, Lucas? Uh, he was Russian, and his uh, name was Sergei. All right, you're given the old middle school level of I didn't read the book to do the book report. Listen, well, Sergei was involved in the majority of the Soviet Union's major space programs, and Karlov okay. was a genius in the field of rocket and spacecraft design. He was one of the few early proponents of using rockets for more than military applications. However, the Central Committee did not share his aspirations. Ah, uh, damn it. I do love the fact that in the 50s and in, like in everything in the past, up until about maybe like 1980, we were all just like, does this benefit the common good? It does? Fuck it. I don't give a shit. I, what I really want to know is can it kill people and how many people? Can we kill massive amounts of our enemy at once? But we could like end world hunger. That's not important to me right now. You're not answering the question. How many people can we kill with this? Enough. Enough people. That's how many we can kill. (laughs) Anyway, so Korolev was a man on a mission. He wanted to turn the opinion of the Central Committee because he really believed in the idea of rocket design that benefited mankind as a whole. And he took to the newspaper circuit as every good fucking Soviet citizen did back in the day. (laughs) Uh, Yes, seize the means of the press. (laughs) basically publishing a series of highly exaggerated newspaper articles touting the possibility of an orbitable space program travel. Basically meaning that you could throw something into Earth's orbit around it and travel from one place to the next. You know what? Yeah, we we could do it. You know, we're going to invent a new game. It's going to be called Space Kitball. And what we're going to do, right, we're going to take a basketball and we're going to launch it into space. It's going to come down. It's going to go right down into this hoop. And it's going to be worth about 700 points. Right? <laughs> LeBron and... James is going to be the star of it. <laughs> LeBron James. He's going to stretch I mean, his arm like in Space Jam. Yeah, basically, he just gives the Earth a hug with his arm and then 700 points right there. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever? Okay, I should probably. This is an aside here, but just as a fun fact, I was reading into this the other day. And. Um... There was a nuclear test that the U, the United States undertook back in like the 1950s, give or was an underground test. And the whole point of the test was to just see the kind of parameters of a nuclear explosion underground. And so they built this whole system with a like concrete, like venting spot 
with a manhole cover on the top of it when they detonated the, the thing. The theory is that the manhole cover took off and flew into space. No. <laughs> that is the first man-made object into space. So we were just like, we didn't send our best and brightest. We sent a literal fucking manhole cover into space. I would love to see it just whistling through the vacuum of space till it hits an alien planet and just like implants itself in some fucking poor bastard's head, just like coming down at a hundred miles an hour. No, like, where I, the fuck is Nina, Wisconsin? We're coming for you. What I really want is for that just to be like become like a sacred object from like another civilization. So like where we when we finally find that alien civilization, like we walk up and they've like made it like this ancient artifact, and we're just like, oh, you got our like manhole cover. Is it one of those weird old movies where you take the manhole cover and the entire society turns against you because you took their god? It's like one of those. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's what I want. Like they want to like I want them to like worship that like sewage hole cover and just Yeah. You know, we all wish that in another species would worship a sewage hole cover. Anyway. So I mean, some people almost worship sewage hole covers like now, like here, like today. So yeah, I mean, we worship. We, I mean, about fifty percent of the United States worshipped one from twenty sixteen to twenty twenty. So what do you want us to fucking do here? Yeah, I mean, valid. Anyway, mm, yeah, damn straight. Anyway, so with the U.S., they were always watching the Soviets. They wanted to know what the Soviets were up to, just like a needy girlfriend that just could not get enough of this dick. They just could not get enough of that dick. So oh, yes, the U.S. picked up on the series of articles that Korolev had printed out, and it lit a, a serious fire under the Central Committee's ass to do something about the idea of being ahead of the Americans when it came to breaking the boundaries of this sweet, sweet, glorious marble that we call Earth. Let's not forget that this is the age of the Cold War, where the main concept was like, are you telling me that, uh, that Russia has a Zamboni with uh, a rainbow painted on it that can shoot missiles. We cannot afford a rainbow Zamboni shooting missile launcher gas, okay? I cannot have one of these gay missile launching Zambonis targeting my children (laughs) in this great United States of America. Here's the thing, though. Like, it... I, that sounds really fucking stupid and ridiculous, but that was their whole thought process. For it is very years. much, it's succinctly their thought process. Like, if you really want, like, a good example of, like, thought processes during this time, go watch, um, fuck me, I can't think of the name of the movie now. You mean um, Dr. Strangelove? Yes, go watch yeah. Dr. Strangelove. That is a fantastic film that, like, completely illustrates a lot of, like, the prevailing thought processes at this time. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, so anyway, the whole point of this was that the Central Committee realized the U.S. were looking at Korolev's idea of doing any sort of orbiting space travel. And the Russians clearly could not let the soulless capitalists win because why would the fuck would you? I don't want the soulless capitalists to win. So under the Central Committee, Korolev pushed the proposal again, and this time Defense Industry Minister Dmitry Ustinov was the one to hear it. Now, to push the, necess- the necessity of this program, Korolev pointed to a similar program abroad, showing that they had to cross the Rubicon before anybody else could. In July 29th of 1955, Korolev was trying to convince his bosses about launching a satellite when President Eisenhower was reading reports from the USSR. He was concerned about the idea that he was hearing and seeing 
that Eisenhower made the decision that the United States couldn't allow the communists to enter space first. We cannot afford a space gap. I cannot afford that. I cannot, Jesus. I cannot afford that space Zamboni to enter into space because then what will you do? Number one, it's communist. And number two, it supports gay rights. And I'll tell you what, I cannot, I can't fucking finish the bit. (laughs) Fucking A. (laughs) What will you do when a gay Zamboni comes for your child? I, I love this too, that I have not given context to my downstairs neighbors in my new apartment that I run the podcast with you. So they assume I'm some sort of homophobe, which is great. What's anyway. fantastic is when I'm out here in Junction City, number one, if someone heard me, they'd be like, hell yeah, brother. Hell uh, yeah, brother. Uh, Flying that Trump good. flag on fire with this pickup truck. I hope by now that our audience realizes that we do this thing for being sarcastic and not, uh, you know, not representing our true feelings, but I'm also in the middle of like a fucking field in the middle of nowhere right now. You're so, fucking a field in the middle of nowhere? No, nah, I'm in a fucking field. Like, I, I mean, I guess that you're right. That does sound pretty weird. Uh, but anyway, I'm in a field, so no one's going to hear this uh, besides my dogs, which they might look at me differently, I guess, but you know. Your dogs are going to look at you with a different head tilt because I would say about <laughs> three brain cells are firing in that small animal at any given time. Yeah, pretty much. But pretty anyway, much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so July 29th, 1955, Eisenhower's press secretary announced that the U.S. government would embark on putting an artificial satellite into orbit before the end of what was called the International Geophysical Year or the IGY. Basically, the IGY was this deadline. The Iggy, what? The Iggy, you mean? Iggy, yep. It basically... The IGY was this kind of weirdly arbitrary uh, system of measurement of years that all of the international communities around the 1950s kind of agreed upon that, like, so the geophysical year ended in this time. Like, what? So you're saying some made-up bullshit. They were like, hey, let's call this a year. I don't know if it's made-up bullshit. I'm sure there's some science behind it, but I wasn't willing to go into it, so... I mean, hear me out here. I I don't understand the need for this, so that's why I'm calling it made up bullshit. Like, is it like what were the landmarks that designated this different from like the normal year, and why did it need to be? I'm pretty sure we all standardized agree in the same year at this point. So like, I'm assuming it had something to do with like the basic science of like an actual geophysical year. Again, it's so dry. I. I looked at it and immediately like glazed over. Like I wasn't willing to go into detail as to what it means. If you want to do that, give us an email at like www.gmail slash whatever fucking hacked history.com. Tell us what the IGY stands for, because frankly, Lucas and I, I probably do remember, but I also don't want to talk about it. So from now on, podcast, we're just going to call it the Iggy. And if you don't like that, well, I don't know. Eat my ass. Anyway, um, so the whole point of this, though, is that it was basically like a deadline for both countries to get something into space that they could call their own before sure. the end of that that particular geophysical year. So around August 2nd of 1955, following Eisenhower's announcement, chairman of the USSR Space Exploration Program, Leonid Setoff, announced that they, too, would begin work on their own artificial satellite. I like to think this is like a miniature rap battle where he's like, oh, fucking hell no, you don't. I know it's like it's like when Eminem throws out a diss track, and all of a sudden, like 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 little John just decides to get in. Like, what? 
What? Yeah! <laughs> Just You're not making fresh rhymes. You gotta let loose a fresh rhyme. Then all of a sudden, like the pickup trucks that are slowly patrolling that podunk ass town you're currently in just stop and start converging on your location because you sound remotely less than white right now. No, I sound pretty pretty white right now. I don't I don't really know many people that are actually in the hip hop industry that, that literally call a rap a fresh rhyme. That's pretty white of me to oh, even say. So. I'll tell you what. <laughs> that's a fresh hippity hop rhyme well, right there. I'll tell you what, son. That was a pretty freaky, freaky fresh line. I want to put a fucking shotgun in my mouth after that bed. Anyway, so <laughs> around six days... <laughs> anyway, around six days later, the Politburo had made their own official statement outlining their approval to create that artificial satellite that Lillian had set off had been so kind to point out. Fast forward to August 30th of 1955. All right. So official party approval is in hand and Korolev has decided with a meeting with Vasily Ryapnikov that the head of the State Commission on R7 rocket tests, which was a really long name, basically meaning he was the head of the USSR's like intercontinental ballistic missile rocket system program that they were going to agree on a method of propelling this newfound satellite into orbit. The ending result was a conceptual stage rocket booster previously intended to carry a thermonuclear warhead. That's always nice. And additionally, the, additionally, the meeting allowed Korolev to present his calculation data to, for a flight to the moon. <laughs> to the fucking moon. <laughs> what I do love about this is the concept of like, how people were like, it's just that simple. What we're going to do is we're going to design a concept based on no science whatsoever, and we're going to get to the moon. <laughs> and, and the Russians are just like, if we can put small animal into orbit, then that is what we are going to do. However, we are going to shoot for sun because Soviet Union needs to plant plague on sun. It, it, it's such, such the most beautiful fucking night, like like naivete that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that it's like, yeah. So we can start here, right? If we get this small animal into orbit, uh, then we're immediately going to basically claim the sun because, you know what? The Americans, they can have the moon because, you know what? Like the moon, like what does it really do? It's just a rock. You know, we're Soviet. You want the life giver of the universe because, you know, that's what the Soviet, you know, that's what the Soviet, that uh, really does, you know? It I was going to say, because the collective Soviet is that the sun gives all of us power and it gives us power. It is and, the Soviet that provides us I mean, power. Emphasis on us. <laughs> basically, the, the sun is a communist, uh, is a communist uh, space object. So you know what? Just, just know that. <laughs> Remember it. Inhale it. Believe it. It's celestial communism, you know? Damn straight. Anyway. So basically, by about the 30th of January 1956, the next year, they had a practical approach available, and the Council of Ministers of the USSR had approved the order for practical work to begin on the satellite program. The project was named Object D, and it would have an estimated weight of around 1,000 to 1,400 kilograms, or for us uneducated Americans, 2,200 to 3,100 pounds, carrying an additional 200 to 300 kilograms, or 400 to 600 pounds, of scientific equipment. 
This put the total weight of object D at 1,200 to 1,700 kilograms. Fuck you. I'm not going to calculate the weight for Americans anymore. Learn how to work in kilograms, you lazy fucks. I mean, the metric system just is objectively better. So, you know. I do love that as Americans, I just mentioned kilograms. I, I would say collectively, uh, I think the last third of our, like, listening population that gives a shit about us just had their heads explode. Well, you know what? Hopefully not. But uh, I guess we really can't change that. So, Anywho, the estimated planned completion of this project would be set for 1957 to 1958. To organize the research, development, and construction stages, the work and responsibility will be divided between the following institutions. The first being the United the USSR's Academy of Sciences, whose gen, yeah, Jesus, general scientific leadership and supply of research equipment was going to be necessary for the project. The Ministry of Defense Industry, which I love these, this is going to be, you're going to be sitting in for an awesome collectivized USSR like industries thing list here. So the uh, defense industry was going to be in charge of the primary design of the satellites propel or the satellite itself. The ministry of the radio technical industry was going to be developing the satellites control systems, radio and technical instruments and the telemetry system, basically telemetry, meaning like how the satellite was going to get into orbit from the earth. The Ministry of Shipbuilding <laughs> was going to develop the satellite's gyroscope system. The Ministry of Machine Building was going to develop the ground launching, refueling, and transportation means, and the Ministry of Defense was going to be conducting the launches. Did you say the Ministry of Shipbuilding? Yes, I did. As in seafaring vessels? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. No, 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 it's fine. I don't see any problem though because you know water is basically just land space. So it's that is fine. true. Technically, I could see no problem with sending a fucking merchant ship, launch, strapping that bitch with rockets, and sending it into space. That's what Columbus should have done. You know, fuck. Technically, fuck the water. you should have. Let's just. I want to just fucking fling me in the atmosphere so I can claim the fucking uh, moon for Italy. That's what he should have done. <laughs> just for the slow, like the small duchy of fucking Venice or whatever it was. Yeah, and you know what though? Like, did I just imply that Columbus should have killed himself rather than come to America? Maybe. Um, am I going to? I think deep down, we as a society would it would have been better if that ship had just foundered in the Atlantic and died. I, I'm I'm going to agree with that. And before we get any hate mail, we're just going to end it there. But you know, take that as you will. Who gives a shit if we get hate mail? What what bigots going to openly say like I I personally am offended because I believe the Native Americans should have been put into camps to concentrate. I mean, Columbus basically killed like not even basically 100 percent killed like thousands of people. And didn't he rape a number of women personally? He did. Isn't that you know what? Fuck Columbus. I, I I wish he would have died in the ocean. I second that. Anyway, that was loud. All right. Anyway, so July of 1956, the situation is progressing as we find to be the way it is. During the month of July 1956, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I wrote that really weird. Preliminary work was completed on the satellites design and specific scientific tasks were defined as well. The tasks that Object D would undertake ranged from measuring the density of the atmosphere and its ion composition, which, frankly, I always hear in every science fiction thing when it comes to satellites and don't know what the fuck that means. 
Yeah, I I don't know what ion composition is. That I don't. Yeah, I don't have a degree in rock. If you're a scientist, email us at gmail at hackedhistory.gmail at gmail.com because I don't know what our it's hackedhistory101 at gmail.com. I say before the end of or the before the beginning of every podcast, Jake. You should have. You must have mistaken me for someone who gives a shit. I do. I do give a shit. <laughs> Anyway, anyway yeah. Anywho, cool. so on top of that, the other tasks they wanted the satellite to achieve was in tracking solar winds, which sounds fucking rad, cosmic rays, and magnetic fields. Considering that this was to be the first of many launches, all collected data regarding environmental factors, satellite orbit, etc., would be crucial for future successes. Due to limited time, the Soviets believed that the maximum amount of flight time would be around seven to 10 weeks at max or seven to 10 days if they were lucky. Further problems with the ambitious design would, would require a whole new satellite design. By February of 1957, the Council of Ministers of the USSR in turn approved a new design that could operate under Soviet technical constraints, mainly because no one had ever fucking done this before and they didn't know what the fuck to do. Accurate, fair, fair. Accurate. During the design phase between February and October of that year, 1957, construction began on the lighter design. Originally, they had kind of gone for a, a heavier design of the satellite, and they were like, we have nothing capable of sending that into orbit, so we need to like look at and reconsider everything we just fucking looked at. The chief engineer for the program was a man called Mikhail Kormilakov. Mm, I, mm, I don't know if that's right or wrong. The satellite was going to be around 585 millimeters or 23 inches in diameter. It was going to be a sphere-shaped object constructed from two hemispheres with a mass of 83.6 kilograms or 184 pounds. Attached to the exterior of the sphere were four radio antennas intended to broadcast radio pulses back down to the control vans on Earth. I was waiting for you to say something, and from my end, it just sounded like you got attacked by a pickup truck. I don't know what happened. No, yeah, no, I didn't get attacked. Uh, my mom tried calling me, but I will text her. So. Tell your mom to stop interrupting a certain podcast. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so during the whole process between February and October of 1957, they were designing the project. And by the time that they were at launch phase, they were nearing the completion. We're going to have to look for a sufficient launch pad for the satellite to have to take off from. Soviet officials settled on an area that would later be termed Gagarin Start, which sounds fucking rad, in a reference to Yuri Gagarin, who was going to be the first human being to go into space later in the 20th century, but at the time was known as Baikonur Site 1. Recording in progress. Yeah, so so what's going on here? I, uh, I got lost in the uh, agencies, but uh, we're trying to Build a ship for space? Uh, yeah, we're building a ship for space, like a Noah of the stars. The, the Russian Noah of the, of the space. The space uh, it's Noah, but drunk on vodka. <laughs> you know what? I think we can get into space. I really do. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems hard. But I just love the idea of Noah being hammered the entire time. He's trying to go to space, just being like, I could try to make it to Mars, but Venus is looking at my fucking booze. If you can't do that, you can't look at my fucking booze. 
just like so hammered off his ass. Right. I love it. I love Absolutely. So anyway, Baikonur Site 1 was going to be the starting platform for the new Russian satellite they were going to throw into orbit. Adjustments were made to the satellite's internal systems, and on October 4th, 1957, final checks were made and the preparations were made. I spelled preparations wrong on my notes. Fuck me. Preparation H. <laughs> I spelled preparation with two E's. <laughs> Holy Jesus. Wow. Anyway, October 4th, 1957. At 7.28 p.m., the rocket and its payload, now termed Sputnik, were launched and reached skyward. At T plus 116 seconds, Sputnik's core engines shut down. 19 seconds after shutdown, the satellite separated from its second stage boosters and the satellite began transmitting its original system. Boom, baby. Damn straight, child. Are we in orbit? Are we in orbit yet? I love you say that like a child that's bored with the car right. Can we, are we done now? Dad, are we in orbit yet? <laughs> no, God damn it. We have got to go see the large largest ball of twine in the United States. Shut your goddamn mouth. Dad, I want to go to Orbit Mountain. I wish you weren't born. Dad, how come you and Mommy fight about ions and satellites all the time? Because you're not the scientist I wanted you to be. Why couldn't you go and why did you go and do football? But I want to build space boats, Dad. It's 2021. You are the dumbest child I've ever seen. Anyway, so back on Earth, the scientists and engineers were watching Sputnik's launch from the range. And after Sputnik was out of sight, they trekked to a temporary radio station to listen for the transmissions. That was going to be their indication that everything had gone according to plan. Waiting about 90 minutes to ensure that the satellite had made a successful orbiting pass, lead engineer Korolev had phoned Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev with the news. Yeah, the train wants to say hello. So. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad it fucked with our audio. Yeah, it, it, it really likes Nikita Khrushchev. You know what it's just saying, bro? It's a communist like, train right there. Yeah, That's so a communist it, train. I think it's also a little hurt that we were talking about space boats. Like, I, I think it really wants it to be a space train. But it Fuck you. We'll call it a space train. Let's call it a space train. <laughs> I'm all I mean, about it. Let's do it. But, but, but it was the shipbuilders making it, not the train conductors or builders, whatever the fuck they're called. Good joke, I guess. All right. I, I don't know. I think we're out of I think we're out of whistles for a little bit. So cool. Anyway, so basically, Sputnik One had made its first pass and had effectively broken the ceiling for anything that humankind was going to be able to do. Oh, yeah, we broke, through, we broke through that hymen. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. All right. God damn. The Soviets took the virginity of space. Okay. (laughs) Technically, the Americans might over the fucking manhole cover, but anyway. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess like, yeah, no, I'm not taking this metaphor further. Yeah, no, you're not going to push it further. You're not going to want to. Fucking violate the concept of that. Anyway, I think yeah, I think we're not going to go there. So, so basically, this was kind of a weirdly simple situation for the Soviets because 
They made no secret regarding Sputnik's launch and the initial news of the satellite going into space was initially unnoticed outside the USSR, which I find fucking wild because nobody cared until the Americans noticed and then everybody gave a shit. Yeah, no one gave a shit and they're like, oh, wait, wait, what did you say, America? Wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait, daddy, daddy America's talking right now. <laughs> Science writer Willie Lay commented in 1958 that, quote, if someone tells me that he has the rockets to shoot and tells me what, what he will shoot and how he will shoot it, and in general says virtually everything except for the pressy state, well, what should I feel? I mean, probably feel pretty, you know, pretty horny, right? You know, rockets, space, I mean, launching. I mean, what, what else gets your reaction going, right? I mean, he's talking about shooting, so... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that this is literally just a passive aggressive note to his wife about her cheating on him with another man and basically being like, well, when one has the rockets to shoot and you want to shoot and it goes in the bottom, what am I to expect? Listen, listen, I feel like you're trying to talk about our marriage right now, but I I don't want to. I know I'm talking about rockets, big blasting rockets that just want to launch and throbbing rockets. (laughs) <laughs> big rock, big black rockets with throbbing engines. Anyway. <laughs> mm, anyway, so regardless, though, this had created a deep national and international interest around the small alien craft. And the thing that made Sputnik special was that you could hear it from radio transmissions and you could see it. Which, weirdly right. enough, for us, like Sputnik, it, if you've ever considered Sputnik, it's a like small metallic sphere with a series of radio antennas coming off of it that look kind of like tails. And the thing is, for people around 1957, like the closest thing that anyone had ever gotten to the idea of space travel had been in like comic books and like pulp novel, serial novels. Yep, yep, yep. So for a lot of people, Especially in the 1950s, where the idea of like Roswell, I think it happened at this point, space travel specifically had already been kind of in slightly like the Americans' popular understanding. Like it was a popular interest of theirs. But at this point, time now, it had gone from being a specific interest to actually being a reality. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh man, we can maybe do this, but holy shit, man. Let's fucking do some space travel because we can actually do this shit. Boy, howdy, I'd really love to see an alien and shoot him with my ray gun. To Holy fuck, the Russians are doing it. Like, it was kind of weirdly like the way that it's such a like a monumental step in human engineering and, and the engineering. It was almost like initially noticed from the Americans, like, who gives a shit? Like, nobody seemed to care. Just <laughs> like, kind wait, of wait weird. The Russians can launch space dildos we cannot afford a space dildo gap i cannot afford i I became dr phil i cannot (laughs) afford a space butt plug with satellite antennas coming towards my home in texas okay these gonna come specifically for me and my family and my (laughs) christian values it's gonna come for me and my family because i've said previously i was against bills that would support homoerotic missiles 
it going into space and trying to fornicate with our galaxy, okay? Marriage is between a man and his galaxy. <laughs> it's his, and I do mean his car. <laughs> yes, his uh, whatever. What is the galaxy? Who makes that? Is that a Chevy? I don't know. I'll look galaxy? It, it might have been Ford. I actually don't know. I'll look it up. You keep going. Anyway, so given the fact that number one, this was such a monumental thing, it was weirdly outside of the humanity's understanding but the fact that you could hear it as it passed you could literally pick it up on am and shortwave radio signals like you if you had a radio as an american you could hear it passing additionally too there was a lot of people who would go out night after night after it was launched with telescopes and just watch this thing as like the first satellite ever flying overhead which by the way it is the ford galaxy yes it's a weirdly surreal moment in my mind. If I, when I was doing the research, I was putting myself back to it. It's like the closest thing you've ever seen in space has been, you know, meteors and the stars, right? You don't see a man-made object orbiting around Earth. And now all of a sudden you can just fucking see it. It's real. It's there. Yeah, it's got to be really hard to like comprehend and initially... It's kind of a mind fuck, really. Yeah, kind of. Well, yeah. I mean, especially if you put yourself in the yeah, like you said, if you put yourself in the perspective of someone from the air, they're gonna be holy shit! Like, is this real? Like, is this green screen in front of me, or what am I looking at? I mean, technically, too, when you think about the time period and the context, I mean, up until this point, you had like some parts of the world had gone, like especially the USSR had gone in the. I mean, the early 20th century to being mostly rural, extremely poor, to being now ahead of the United States in the idea of being able to launch an artificial object in space. Whereas America, who was at this point pretty much the, you know, political arch enemy of it, had not really been able to manage anything up until that point. Like, it, it really, they had been more or less concerned with like, all, I would say most of their technology had been dedicated to their atomic weapons program, I think. Plus, I think around this time, you saw a lot of domestic interest in the idea of, like, the idyllic 1950s. Well, if you, we got out of World War II, and on some levels, you we weren't necessarily concerned with going to space because it wasn't something that was really conceptualized that, that hardcore until it uh we started realizing someone else could do it before us essentially it's one of those situations where like we were like ah now let's just focus on society and everybody can have their white picket fence homes and we just get out of a war and we we at this point are the only people that have like sustainable nukes so let's just like chill for a bit and then someone's just like hey guess what russia launched a satellite into orbit we're like holy fuck no and then we like basically freaked the fuck out because we kind of had to, I guess. Maybe we didn't have to really, but given the political culture at the time, they thought we did. So, well, and I think part of the political culture too was the fact that I think around that time, I think 1955. I am I am generalizing here, but Tsar Bomba, the Russian atom bomb, had already been tested. Tsar Bomba, yeah, because <laughs> I got Tsar Poland. Oh, sorry, sorry. 
I had to make the Mo Bamba reference. You can uh, hate me if you want to. I it's do. Fine. Anyway, um, so in that consideration, like most of the idea of technology had been dedicated to terrestrial stuff, had been dedicated to aircraft and rocketry, but it was not anything that really broke like the orbit of Earth or even remotely like related to it. Gotcha. Yeah. But regardless of that, there was a deep, again, national, international interest. And that kind of led to this idea of a brave new world. So even in like the 30s, I'd say there had existed a public fascination with science technology in the future. I've, I don't have in my possession, but I do know of the idea of, of a, the interest in like what the future would look like, the idea of like space adventures and stuff like that and serial novels. So it wasn't entirely foreign. I mean, you had like Jules Verne's like, I think it was Travels to the Moon at some point in time. But I mean, that had happened even in like the like late 1800s. So it wasn't like an entirely foreign concept. Just, yeah, it was not I mean, within like the reality of human engineering and scientific. It's not something Joe was going to think about every day. The people no. who were thinking about it at that time were very specialized. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like people did think about it, but in a lot of cases, they were the philosophers, writers, or like astronomers, amateur astronomers, or you know, it wasn't like in the the you know regular like mindset of like the regular american whereas when we first started like the space race and it hyped up and everything then we were like oh shit this is like everything now like society as a whole is gonna think about this shit every day and like this is like part of like our daily lives even more so than it is now because i feel like it's almost kind of reverted now because people in that time frame probably thought about space almost every day whereas like i don't know I don't feel like I think about it that often, to be honest with you. Like, I know it's there. But it's not yeah, like a part of like, my daily mindset. It's not in the news every day. Like, it would have been that Yeah, no, I mean, I agree because, like, for me, it's like, I, I, it's an, it is an interest, but, yeah, but it is not like a direct thing that I think about. Whereas, like, during the 50s and 60s, into the 70s, and up into the 80s, even. Like space exploration was the pinnacle of a nation's like scientific pride. As we're now, NASA yeah. kind of ceases to even be a relevant topic, which is weird because I feel like now more than ever, with the concept of people like the Hubble, Hubble telescope and all sorts of shit starting to come over where people are looking at like living on Mars. A legitimate thing that I do believe we're going to look at a cyclical change where we've gone out of caring about the idea of space travel back into it when something happens to re-engage our interest. Well, once this planet's fucked and we have no other choice, that's when we'll start caring again. That's my prediction. Yeah, Yeah, fuck it. No, we're all going to die on on this planet. Um, No, that's, that's not what people are going to think. I mean, like, my point is that, like, it's hard to conceptualize what NASA does right now. So people don't talk about it because there isn't an obvious defined goal. They're basically, I would say the obvious defined goal for me looking at NASA as of now 
is the idea of exploring whether or not it is possible to live on other planets. Right. And I would agree with you, but you're also like informed and care enough to look it up. If you ask someone who hasn't done that research and you're just like, hey, what do you think NASA's goal is? They'd probably be like, I don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're like, what the fuck is NASA? Whereas if you ask someone in like the 60s or the 50s, they'd have been like, oh, we're trying to get to the moon. You know what I mean? It, it was get to awesome. the moon, you know, stuff like that. Well, and I think in that, you know, like, even so, in the 30s, it was mostly like science fiction concept. It was a fun idea. But by the 50s, which was really only about like 20 years time, the events that we had just talked about, it brought the future home. The creation of, you know, interstate highway systems, the normalization of consumerist middle class, color televisions, the highest time federal budget, I mean, ranging around like 71.8 billion bucks. The creation of just computers in general, it all put Americans in the mindset that space travel and futuristic living was now not only just like a reasonable concept, it was attainable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because I think in that it was the idea of having money that a country could spend because you had just come from within the 30s, a depression era mindset of hard scrabble. You got to save everything you can just to survive to the 40s where your major idea was fighting fascism in the world and becoming a military power again to the 50s where the military power had basically thrust America into being what we would say is an international power, albeit I don't think they were ready for that role. And eventually it became an issue of the United States saying, holy shit, like all of a sudden we've got all this money and we are now the most proficient country in the world. Whereas of 20 years ago, we were not even remotely close to that. And now they're the American citizens are like, why the fuck can't we go to space? Why are the Russians going to space? Like we need to get behind that. This thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, um, uh, it, it just, it's one of the, it's just really interesting to put yourself in the mindset of uh, somebody who would have been particularly living back in that era. And to sort of think about what they might've conceptualized the whole, uh, sort of space race thing to be you know what I mean yeah well and what's interesting too is in the town that I'm currently living in in Manitowoc here because that's where I moved to here after I, I moved away from point um my neighbors next door in this town is relatively about the same size as point give or take maybe less about maybe the size of Wisconsin Rapids this is yeah. for me and, and Lucas specifically but it's a relatively like working class town but it's it's on the verge of becoming like um, a more left-leaning place it's just not quite there yet like my neighbor specifically knew of a police officer because in this town that i'm living in one of the claims to fame that it has is that a part of the sputnik project landed in this town it crashed into a street and there's a specific spot marked for it but like people now that I know that I live next to are, are getting of that age. They remember this just like being like we were kids during the war where technology advanced so fast that it was almost kind of hard to fathom up until the point where all of a sudden chunks of like metal from space were just falling in our town. 
I like it. I mean, that's pretty yeah. fucked up. Can you imagine living in one of those times with just fucking flying hunks of metal just bang? Just oh, man. Out. I mean, we were due for a fucking, like, a Chinese rocket falling to Earth on us, but... Yeah, but then it was like, nope. Nah, we're good. Yeah. So, within the United States specifically, there was an example of what was called moon watchers, whose sole purpose was focusing on things like Sputnik and watching the sky. So, Eventually, that was going to become part of a big, like, collaborative interest in things like, you know, watching the skies, having people dedicated to being astronomers where they look at planets, planetary alignments and stuff like that. I mean, furthermore, too, it created a focus on things like science, technology and engineering, because originally the Americans have been focused on consumer technology, mostly like cars refrigerators stuff like that but now with sputnik becoming an actual thing all of a sudden in general population interest shifted to things like computer chips and microprocessors leds all sorts of like futuristic ideas of you know increasing technological capacity right yeah i mean this is like kind of like to be it's like it's kind of crazy to think about where you go from it at the start of like uh, World War One, where we're still using horses in combat, and you think yeah. like we're at like fifty years later, uh, you know, kind of the time period we're talking about, where we're literally theorizing and sending people and things into space. Never like, mind the fact, yeah. Never mind the fact that like even in general, yes, we had the idea of like atoms, but if you're thinking in like weaponry. Like people were working with like rifles and pistols in World War One. All of a sudden, by 1945, we're able to wipe out a small city with one single bomb. Yeah, like, yeah. The way that technology advances, I mean, in general, the rule is during wartime, technology advances at a blistering pace. But it is like in like, even so, like even during the Cold War, we have that to thank for being able to have LED TVs in the capacity of you know basic commodities that now we take for granted like even the fucking internet i think had been some part of the cold war where we were able to access like data on a massive scale but that's just me um what comes after though the launch also comes a con- confidence crisis on the part of the u.s so right. on the world politics stage, on stage, stage, a less Gage, positive outlook Gage. began forming in the minds of the United States and international citizens that weren't entirely too keen on the communists being out and ahead of us. If the Soviets were capable of putting an, at the time, substantial payload into orbit, they were, and odds were, that they were pretty close to putting an atomic warhead in, into orbit as well. And if they figured out the concept, they were able to put a lot of them at one time. Listen, we cannot afford for a dangly, fiery death missile to orbit around our planet and knock out one of our major cities, okay? You cannot have an uncircumcised Soviet penis of a missile rocket head (laughs) hanging over my ranch house in El Calamita, Texas. Because I'll tell you what, I'll take my family to Pizza Ranch, and we pray before we eat. And yes, it makes the Muslim staff uncomfortable. And yes, I also get in the faces of numerous Jewish patrons. But I also don't care about your feelings. Now, please care about mine. Listen, all I have to say is a couple things. You know, facts over feelings. You know, 
Russian penises are not welcome on my property. I mean, even if they're, you know, human, just you. Um, <laughs> so I had a mental image of this guy just sitting on his porch with a shotgun looking out for coyotes. And a fucking Russian dick just falls in his yard. And he screams at the heavens and falls to his knees. <laughs> why? Why have you sent me this Russian penis? <laughs> why have you forsaken me, space god? <laughs> What a fucking crock of shit. But just to kind of explain uh, where we've come so far in this series, because it's been so long since we recorded the first episode, and presumably uh, since you've listened to it. Um, Listen to the pe- pro- object that Project Paperclip episode first, if you haven't listened to yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Project Paperclip, the reason we started there... Operation Paperclip, sorry. Operation project. Paperclip. Well, this, the whole series, Space Race, is just to kind of explain how and why America got to the moon um, and kind of explain all the intricacies of it. You might wonder why we spent so much time talking about World War II and the end of it and the Nazis coming to America. Well, that the, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but basically you have to have the manpower in the industry to be able to facilitate such a, a uh, uprising into space. But And that's basically much of it, really, is facilitated through the Operation Paperclip uh, and what, what happened with that. And this episode, as I'm conceptualizing it, is this is almost like the, like the uh, kindling that lit the U.S. on fire that's going to lead to the U.S. being so compelled to basically respond um, to what the Soviet Union is doing to, to get into space, essentially. I mean, would you you have anything else to add on that, Jake? What do you think about that? I mean, I do agree on that because, like you said, I was going to bring up Operation Paperclip again. Like, we, I mentioned LEDs. Like, if you listened to the last episode, we talked about the concept of LEDs coming directly from a Nazi scientist that we hired. I mean, this whole thing is weird because I would say the reason why we were able to get into moon onto the moon in the first place was because yes, the Russians started; they gave us the impetus to do it. But the Nazis, as a power, and in general as a scientific group that we hired later on, were able to give us the, the know-how to put us there. As originally, the United States really hadn't been all that concerned. Right. And a lot of like the technology and like the concepts that were like you know, being used by the Germans at the end of World War II, um, those things would not have been like found out by us so fast. Um, had we not you know, illegally taken Nazis to America, which I, I know we talked about a lot in the first episode. I'm not going to backtrack too much. This is it's still really tough. Up. It really is. Yeah. Like, it's something that I don't think, I don't think we talk about it enough, right? Like, it doesn't get brought up enough, at least in this conversation, I think. Uh, and what we try to do in this podcast is to kind of uh, fully color the conversations of historical events and kind of show you that to uh, it's not just like America just basically whipped out a dick and flew into space. Like it's not like that simple and it's complicated in the way that we made it happen. You know, there's going to be setbacks and there's things that we did that are questionable and yeah, we got to our goal, but it's not as, it's not as easy as just saying, Oh yeah, we, we did it. You know what I mean? Like it's not that easy. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I, when you mentioned that, I just imagine it being like the president just like unzips his fucking pants and whips his junk out like uses his dick to hit a button and all of a sudden the Statue of Liberty just flies into the sky. 
<laughs> like that was the mental yeah, image that my autistic brain picked up. Right, he's giving the speech that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about when we get there. But he's giving the speech, and he's just like, "We should do this not because it's easy, but because it's hard." And he takes on his cock, and it just. <laughs> no, I mean technically, isn't that what it is? The JFK was talking about his penis the entire time. And that's what people say. I mean, yeah. really, it, it, it was probably about, like, was. There was probably some weird, like, subconscious, like. Well, you got to talk about it because it's phallic, and who gives a shit? But he's not Warren G. Harding. Like he's not coding letters with like wording from his penis uh, to to talk to his cousin. <laughs> yeah, he's not doing that. Um, it's not that we know about. Uh, he's a pretty fucked up individual though, so maybe. Oh but, hell yeah! Uh, so in general, too, the idea of atomic war because. I think in general, to put yourself as a listener into the position of the American mindset, like, again, the atomic bomb is the end-all be-all of weaponry at this point. We have not created a hydrogen bomb, or we've gotten too close to creating it at this point. We are not to the idea of merving nuclear warheads where you can hit multiple targets with one rocket and the idea of Star Wars and all that shit. But in general, the idea of putting a weapon in space that you cannot... What? Talking about the Jedi's, right? Star Wars? No, 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 no. I'm talking Reagan, like the missile defense system. Oh, I knew you were. I was just fucking with you. Oh, Anyway. (laughs) But the idea of, like, you know, launching a missile into space with an atomic warhead, there's no way to stop that. Whereas, like, if you do it with a airplane, which was really the only possible method of doing it at the time... You could shoot the fucker down and that would be it. But here there was really that presented a no like defend option for both countries now because the Russians had just sent something into space that was worthwhile and heavier than what any country had put into space. You wanted to put an atomic warhead, you could fucking do it. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a really trippy time you live in, man. Like, oh, we, yeah. they were... I mean, the idea, too, of, like, Bert the Turtle. We, I mean, what I'd love to talk about would be, like, the atomic war panic of, like, like from the 50s up until around now. Because it's just, the like, the most interesting thing ever about how humanity reacted to the idea of a world-ending weapon by saying, let's just dive under a fucking desk and <laughs> that, that'll do. It's like that bit from John Oliver where he's, like, showing the video where it's, like, holidays sundays we as americans need to be prepared anytime the bomb drops and they threw a fucking picnic blanket over themselves like the radiation fire wasn't going to set them all ablaze yeah yeah i mean the ducking cover i mean that's a whole another set of that's a whole another set of uh things we can talk about there um i'd love to do a series on that frankly because i think that deserves a, a, some sort of focus where I don't think a lot of people show it. Yeah, I really think that uh, it would be it would be really nice. It would be really good to kind of cover that. I'm sure we will because we cover a lot of stuff um, in this time period because we both find it fascinating. Um, so I'm sure that'll come up in you know previous oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is this kind of where we're? I mean. Where are we at with the space race? Are we continuing to go on, or is this kind of where we're stopping uh, for today's episode, Jake? Um, I would say we're going to go on a little bit because we're pretty much to the end of this episode. Um, okay. So in general, to sort of wrap this up, though, the, the launch had 
fed a legitimate fear for the United States that they had been falling behind the godless communists. And they needed to rectify that problem immediately with a, a freedom boner of sorts. Um, so in November of 1957, the preparedness investing. Okay, by the way, this is the longest fucking name I've ever read in this podcast history that we've done. The Preparedness Investigating Subcommittee of the Senate Armed Services Committee. <laughs> That's the name of the group. Opened their hearings on the missile gap laid bare by the Sputnik launch. Ah, uh, the missile gap. We cannot yep. afford a homoerotic missile gap. We need... <laughs> you cannot allow a homoerotic missile gap. And me and my partner, Gary, we are not gay. We are just mainly two men that sleep in the same bed together. We're two lifelong friends who love to suck a little dick. No, no, not even that. Like, it would have to be something like where, like, McCarthy, I think, was, like, secretly gay. Or that one general that was related to the Kennedy assassination where he hated, like, liberals. But he himself was a closeted homosexual. He's like, and that's right. And I will suck dick of any man in this room who calls me gay. And every soldier. Yeah. Like, what the and fuck did you just say? I mean, that, those situations turn, turn out to be the case more often than not. Like that whole like thou doth protect too much thing. Yeah, a little bit. The calling people. the kettle black in that situation. Yeah. yeah. So in general, though, the idea of the missile gap all of a sudden became a huge issue. Now, for the uninitiated listener, the missile gap basically was this idea that the United States was way behind the Soviets in missile capability and technological advancement. One of the things that was interesting about the missile gap is that for the most part, between us and the USSR, it was bullshit. It was BS the whole time. Yeah. So the train doesn't like the missile gap, obviously. Yeah, the, the train does not approve of the missile gap, wherever you're living right now. Not a fan of that missile gap. No. Uh, yeah. So at the press level, the media went absolutely mental over Sputnik, though. Because, and the, again, this is a monumental movement but the problem is the Soviets did it first. So the United well, States signed or in the United States, science fiction writer and scientist Arthur C. Clarke, later co-writer of 2001 A Space Odyssey, would say that this moment set the United States. What? That's been the theme song of the oh, space. Okay. okay. <laughs> but basically had set this moment as saying that this had set the United States as a second rate power, which if you know Americans, is is a riling statement. Them's his fighting words for us. Well, and you really have to remember, and we talked about this tons of times about the 50s and 60s, but this is peak Cold War. This is, we need to be careful because your neighbor could be a Russian and they could be sending, like, world-ending secrets to each other. Like, yeah. Red Scare here is, the like... The Rosenbergs had just recently been a thing. Yeah. The two so, American citizens passing H-bomb secrets to the Soviets. Yeah. So, like, the, the fact that the Russians did this before us was not like, oh, like, another country did this. It was, like, our, like, mortal enemy who, like, were supremely scared will one day end all of our lives now knows these things. It was viewed as, like, a super serious and, like, extremely, like, bad thing to happen, you know? It wasn't, like, it wasn't taken lightly. Uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't think this was going to end well because of that. Yeah, which is weird because, like, even in the Soviet Union, like they kind of more or less seen the idea of the satellite launch not as a weaponry thing, but it'd been more or less like just to see if we could fucking do it. And then the propaganda value would have been, hey, look, we did this first. Like we're technologically ahead of you. 
which again, it kind of feeds in like this moment for us, just to give the listener context, this feeds every like Cold War era paranoia and nuclear paranoia situation from here on out. Like Sputnik starts this. And, then, and we talked about like we were joking and not really even joking too much, but we have those conversations about the gaps and like how people freaked out. This is one of the first ones that happened to the point where it started freaking other people out that there might actually be gaps that we're not aware of in technology. Like, yeah, like all of a sudden you realize like, oh, fuck, we cannot possibly let the Russians have more missiles than us, even though in general – like later as we find out that the missile gap is not a realistic thing. It's not real. It doesn't exist. Yeah. At least like yeah. when we find out about it. But the thing is the U S not one to sit there and have a thumb jammed in its ass because it didn't want to be a second ring power. They tried to amend this problem by attempting to close the gap with their own Sputnik program. This was headed by the U S Navy. And this was called TV three or the Vanguard rocket. Tuberculosis 3, good name. Yes. They decided to launch this sucker on December 6, 1957. Never forget. Um, December 6 of 1957, mostly because it was close to Pearl Harbor Day. (laughs) The funny bit about this was that we televised this to the world, assuming that this was going to (laughs) work. It didn't, did it? No, no. Um, it ended in the rocket and the satellite blowing up on the launch pad with the satellite being thrown from the blast and rolling across the ground with its beacon going like some we sort of pearl- fucking cartoon. We, we pearl harbored ourselves. We did. The concept about this was that the, they decided to rush the project because they didn't want to be like, they wanted to answer, like it was re- like call and response and we wanted to respond. And so we like decided to launch our own rocket like rush the right. system without any calculations and blew this it is, up this is 100 free advice to everybody out there you know you have to take this but seriously do not rush things to make yourself look better because you will fail and inevitably make yourself look worse like take the time it needs you don't win by anything by rushing yeah well and i think in the regard to that too it was the idea of like they wanted to get something there like it the project itself, you could have gone, we could have gone into Vanguard itself for its own episode, but I just decided to like briefly mention it here. I mean, like we televised this to the world live. And when this thing blew up on us on the first launch, it was a massive black eye because we looked like we were fucking incompetent. Like it wasn't like you launched it and managed to get up there, but didn't actually achieve its goal. It like it didn't even leave the fucking launch pad. It just blew up and like scattered itself everywhere. Yeah, it's like you know when you're with your uh, special someone for the first time, and uh, you, we, America didn't get its pants off. You know, we didn't get the oh, pants no. off. We, God, no. The action ended before we got our pants off. And That's right, Lucas, you and I both know what it's like to no. <laughs> Neither of us have had sex anyway. Um, I mean, I have, but that's besides the point. Yeah, you're going to tell us who that was? No, no, I'm not. So anyway, um, why would you in that regard, though, what I think was extremely interesting. What? So why would you put it in the podcast, you Soviet motherfucker? (laughs) That's right, our girlfriend. 
Um, what's <laughs> interesting about that, though, I think is it really super funny was it was kind of like a middle finger to us unintentionally was that when the fucking missile exploded, it sent the fucking satellite out of the capsule that it was in and it set off the beacon that it was supposed to do. It was just rolling across the ground with it going like like the most fucking impotent thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Pretty yeah. fucking bad. Yeah, and with that being said, though, the race was officially on, motherfucker. It's on. Yep. The United States was coming across as a bunch of morons, but it's not over. Not by a long shot, because you know what? America's here, and America's going to stupid its way to victory. Let's go! Woo! Yep, and I'm sure that we are going to do some more stupid shit in the next couple episodes, because we always do, man. Damn straight. It's always, at least slightly entertaining. Um, So... Well, maybe at the at the jest of the other countries in the world, but yeah, we always make it entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's entertaining. It's not always good. I, I'd ventured that it's a lot of times not good, but uh, that's part of America. So yeah. you know, just something I guess you have to be okay with. Um, You're just gonna have to be at this point. I don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. Um. Well, it's been an honor to be back. I guess you know it's been a hot minute. I guess. <laughs> Fuck you too. It's been a hot minute, but uh, yeah, we're gonna try to keep pumping these out when we can. Uh, just yeah, that's that- right because you know that you like to listen to the Hacked History podcast only because we are inconsistent and we bring the heat some of the time. Listen, we really do try our best. Uh, oh God, yes, we do. Please God, <laughs> we do. Um, it's just it's hard sometimes with our schedules, but just know uh, that we're out there. We're doing our best. We, like the Sputnik of podcasts, are beeping away in the atmosphere, hoping that someday you will listen to us. Yep. And, yeah. So, uh, that's a good way to close it. Uh, You can find us, like I told you in the beginning, on our socials. Um, Basically, just search Hack History on the platform. If you don't see us, uh, logo of Abe Lincoln, chances are we are not there. Um, But, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, we'll be happy to answer your questions. Uh, and we'll be back as soon as we can. And uh, you have yourself a fantastic rest of your uh, day, night, whenever you listen to this. Yep, damn straight. And guess what? The dollop, we're coming for you. Yeah, no, we're not. Nope. Nope. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs>